Good morning, Paris. Good afternoon, Beirut. And good evening, Macau. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue Managing Editor Jeremy Dicker, a.k.a. J.D., to discuss big news for Mexico's manufacturing sector and an important diplomatic visit to Central Asia. It's all coming up. Morning, JD. How are you? Ethan, I'm good, mate. Another another day in paradise here in Australia. Oh, fantastic. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll promise you I'm not jealous. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to bring you on to discuss Mexico's booming manufacturing industry because you spent quite a bit of time there during your years as a, a diplomat, right? Yeah, that's right. I spent a uh, pretty amazing three years in Mexico as a, as a baby diplomat a few years ago. So um, it's a part of the world I love and follow pretty closely. Well, awesome. So, so what's the news that uh, we're following today? So we've been tracking this pretty big announcement from um, the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. He's known as AMLO. Um, he announced on Tuesday that um, Tesla, the American car manufacturer, is going to build a massive factory in the northern city of Monterey. Um, that's about three hours from the Texas border. Um, Tesla confirmed the same news the next day at their investor day. Um, Elon Musk, he, he called it the most significant announcement of the day, and it is. They didn't attach a specific figure to the investment, um, but one Mexican official said it was going to cost something like $5 billion and would employ 6,000 people. So, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, This is not just spare change that Elon found under the desk. He's finding less and less of that these days. (laughs) Tesla, yeah, I mean, he's a rich guy. But, I mean, Tesla generates the headlines because it's Tesla, right, and Elon is Elon. But other major car manufacturers have been in Mexico um, for a long time, talking like General Motors, Ford, um, and those sort of pre-existing players, they're also investing a lot of money retrofitting their existing factories to boost um, electric vehicle production as well. Um, And just last month, actually, BMW announced they were investing something like $870 million um, into another part of Mexico in the in the center called San Luis Potosí. JD, if, if you'll excuse my pun, I mean, what's what's driving this? I mean, <laughs> Mexico has has long been a, a hub for car manufacturers, but this seems like. Ah, God, forgive me again, but this seems like a real acceleration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, things are uh, changing gear. But <laughs> um, I mean, long before, long before Mexico was, you know, a twinkle in Elon Musk's eye, it, it was already the world's seventh largest car manufacturer. Um, like as recently as uh, 2021, it's the second largest car manufacturer in Latin America after Brazil. Um, but you know, things are definitely ramping up, and I think there's a good chance we'll see Mexico climb those ranks. You know, the funny thing is the current president of Mexico, AMLO, he's he's known for a lot of things, um, like tweeting out last weekend a photo of something that he said was a mystical elf. Um, but he's not known for his pro-business, pro-foreign investment policies. Um, so, you know, th- those of us who've been watching Mexico for a while, it was a little bit jarring to see um, AMLO making an announcement that the world's richest man, Elon Musk, was going to be um, investing to build a massive car factory in Mexico. But here we are. Um, and I think probably the, the driver for a lot of this growth in investment into the Mexican car sector is less to do with any specific Mexican policy. Um, it's more to do with um, some other broader factors, one of which is the US Congress, which passed the Inflation Reduction Act last year, which despite its name, it's more of a climate bill than anything else. It commits billions in all sorts of um, clean energy initiatives, you know, solar panels, wind turbines, um, upgrading America's creaking power grid. 
But it also offers billions in tax credits to Americans who buy electric cars assembled in North America. And North America, that includes the USA, it includes Canada, it also includes Mexico. So, um, so you can see how um, that would um, drive a lot of demand for any car manufactured in one of those three countries. Um, the specifics of it is that um, for any electric vehicle that's assembled in one of those three countries, it's eligible for a tax break worth about $3,750. But on top of that, um, if 40% of those cars' critical minerals are sourced in any of those three countries um, or any country that the US has a free trade agreement with, then that vehicle is eligible for another $3,750 tax credit. So you can see how um, very quickly demand um, for, the, for, for cars manufactured in Mexico um, can really skyrocket. That's fascinating and, and interesting. You know, Mexico obviously sits on a, a wealth of natural resources like lithium that are required to, to build electric car batteries. But JD, I assume these manufacturers are, are targeting the American market, right? I mean, it's the, the world's largest economy why not just build factories there? Yeah, I mean, the US is the world's largest economy. It's the second largest um, market for cars after China. I mean, I guess Mexico has the distinct advantage of being close to the US without being in the US. So, I mean, that means labor is cheaper in Mexico, cheaper not only than in the US, but even in, than in China. Um, building costs are lower in Mexico, and you can move product to market in the US by just driving it up the road rather than you know loading it up on a ship and sending it across the Pacific. You know, we hear a lot about... Um, US-Mexico border in terms of immigration, but we don't talk so much about what else is happening at the border. And in terms of trade, there is nothing else like it on earth. I mean, the US and Mexico, they're doing a million dollars in trade every minute, which works every, out- Every minute? Yeah, every minute. So we're talking like $1.8 billion of trade wow. every day. Now, specifically in the car sector, it's amazing. There, there are some car components that cross the US-Mexico border back and forth. We're talking eight, nine, 10 times for different manufacturing processes on either side of the border before they're eventually assembled into the finished car in Mexico. So this is a remarkable and efficient, a well-oiled um, car manufacturing machine um, across Mexico and the United States. And, and it, it makes sense that a company like Tesla would want to get, get amongst it. So that's the business side of things, right? But there's also a, a geopolitical angle here. For decades, um, you know, companies were pretty happy to place all their manufacturing eggs in the one China basket. It was just so much cheaper there. Um, and that bet worked for a long, long time. But I think the last couple of years, we've seen that um, you know, that calculation is changing. It's no longer way cheaper to manufacture in China compared to places like Mexico. In fact, it's in, in many sectors cheaper to do it in Mexico. The COVID disruptions spooked foreign investors over in China, um, but also tensions between the US and China have spooked foreign investors more broadly there. Um, so this has all prompted a lot of company executives around the world to really rethink their approach. That doesn't mean everyone's pulling out of China. Um, it just means companies like Tesla and others are wanting to build up their manufacturing capacity elsewhere. And, you know, a lot of companies talk about this as their China and strategy rather than China or. So you know, folks like Tesla, that's exactly what they're doing. They've got their China factory um, and now they're going to have a factory in Mexico too, as well as in the US and Germany. There's a lot to watch here. Uh, so, JD, if people want to get more insights into Mexico and into the Spanish-speaking world more broadly, where where can they go? Yeah, we're actually producing a weekly geopolitics briefing in Spanish. It's called Intriga Internacional. It's fun. It's a five-minute read, and it's free. So hopefully, folks listening will go check it out.
Today's show is sponsored by Highland Titles. If you're looking for an internationally intriguing gift, this is the one for you. Lawmakers in Scotland legally recognized souvenir plots of land in 1979. These gift-sized plots of land can be bought and sold with ease. And Highland Titles has been selling these plots since 2006, inviting customers to style themselves as lord or lady of their estate. The land is managed as a nature reserve, and thousands of people find their plots yearly. Prices start at only $50. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. So next up, we're traveling to an oft underappreciated part of the world that's uh, increasingly serving as a geopolitical pivot point. So, JD, why don't you take us there? So, um, yeah, for this story, we're headed to the high peaks and rolling steps of Central Asia, where U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken paid a brief visit early this week. So he, he traveled first to Kazakhstan on Tuesday for a meeting with the leaders of the five Central Asian nations. That's most of the stands. For those playing at home, we're talking Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. Um, and he headed to Uzbekistan's capital, Tashkent, the following day. He's actually the first cabinet level um, Biden administration official to visit the region. And you're right, I mean, these countries, they're rarely described as geopolitical powerhouses, right? But just think about the history for a second. Um, Tashkent was was one of the most important cities in the world um, for a long time because it was it was among the largest hubs along the Silk Road connecting China to the Middle East and Europe, right? And, and that location hasn't changed. There are a number of rail projects currently under construction um, that have the potential to cut travel time between China and Europe two of the world's largest economies by more than a week. Um, also circumventing Russia, importantly. So how, do, how does Russia fit into all of this? Well, Russia's central to the story, right? So after, I mean, all these countries, they're former members of the Soviet Union. So a lot of their economies are already geared towards trade with Russia and heavily interdependent with Russia. So that gives Russia a lot of leverage over the region. Um, but as you can imagine, these countries are pretty uncomfortable with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and the idea that that Russia might try and rebuild its its lost empire. I mean, even even though Russia hasn't directly threatened these countries over the past year, their concern isn't that surprising, right? I mean, Kazakhstan's border with Russia is longer than than that of any other countries. Um, it has a large number of ethnic Russians living in parts of Kazakhstan um, that some Russian nationalists say should be part of Russia. So, if you, I mean, let's go back a year um, and remember that part of Russia's pretext for invading Ukraine was to protect ethnic Russians in in Ukraine. So you can. I mean, we can all probably forgive these Central Asian countries that have their own ethnic Russian populations um, for, I guess, being a little bit spooked um, by the way Russia looks out at the rest of the world, and particularly part of the world that has ethnic Russian populations. Um, but this all puts Central Asian countries in a pretty tough spot, right? I mean, they don't want to anger Moscow, um, but at the same time, they, they want to be sending some fairly unsubtle signals, like this one hosting the US Secretary of State, um, that Russia shouldn't get any ideas about taking territory um, in their own neck of the, neck of the woods. So for its part, I mean, Russia's lost so many economic partners over the last year, it can't afford to alienate Central Asia, which is like right at the heart of its sphere of influence. So relations are stuck in this sort of stasis right now. Um, neither side trusts the other, but they can't really afford to let the other one go. So so then what was Blinken hoping to accomplish by visiting? Well, it, it, it's tough for the US to compete against Russia and China to build influence in that part of the world, right? I mean, geography and proximity alone make that pretty unrealistic. Still, I think Blinken was there, I think, in, in, in one part to further isolate Russia from um, its traditional sphere of influence. Um, I mean, these are countries that haven't condemned the inv invasion, um, they haven't supported it. Um, so it's sort of a rare bit of space for Russia internationally to have at least silence towards its actions in Ukraine. Um, I think Blinken was also there to send a message, a message to Russia that um, 
if it tries to expand this war to other former Soviet states, it's gonna it's gonna face some pushback. Um, and I guess also a message to Central Asia that um, you know it's not alone; it has options. Well, JD, you've taken us from Australia to Mexico to Central Asia, and now back to Australia. So uh, enjoy the sunshine. Thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. Nigeria has named a new president-elect Bola Tinubu after days of voting challenges and accusations of fraud from the country's two other top contenders. If ultimately confirmed as president, the election will mark a political capstone for 70-year-old Tinubu, who's long served as a kingmaker in Nigerian politics. Romania is set to become the first country to employ an AI policymaker. The AI bot named Ion will collect citizen complaints and contributions and synthesize them into reports for human policymakers to read. And that's gonna do it for me. By the way, you ever take a photo of yourself atop the Eiffel Tower, soaking up the sun at one of Beirut's beaches or hanging with the high rollers in Macau? If so, make sure to send it to us on Twitter for a chance to win an Intrigue coffee mug. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe if you like this show. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Monday.